This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your word. And we come this morning knowing that, well, there are so many conflicts and strains and and relational strains in the world and indeed the church as well. And we need a mediator. Above all, we need a mediator to talk to us this morning. Wretched, sinful people who need forgiveness and salvation. So help us this morning, Heavenly Father. May our mediator truly speak to us through the scriptures. And we ask all this in Jesus Christ's powerful and wonderful name. Amen. Eugene has just been praying in our corporate prayer for the situation in North Korea. And most certainly it does need our prayers. But you will know that there is substantial tension between North Korea and the United States of America. And in this situation, what is needed is a mediator, a go-between or a negotiator, somebody who can bring both sides together at the same table and leave with an agreement. And we're hoping and trusting that maybe the Chinese will be able to manage that, knowing both the North Korean government and indeed the American government as well. But we know that when there's a tension in a relationship or the two parties are separate, we need somebody to step in, to stand in, to know both sides, to represent both sides and bring them together. Now, that's quite familiar, I think, in church life as well. Um, as a pastor, I'm quite uh, quite familiar with actually playing the role of a mediator, you know, talking to, pe- to people in the church who perhaps might have a couple of problems and saying, let's sit down together. Right, what do you think? Right, what do you think? Well, I suggest that we can meet together in the middle and let's pray. And uh, indeed, that is what that is what we need when there are two parties who are apart. But most especially... We need a mediator between ourselves and God. The reason why we need a mediator between ourselves and God himself is the reason that we saw in our responsive reading from the book of Job. You will know the context of the book of Job, that Job was a good man, a godly man, and yet somehow God had sent him terrible suffering. He had lost all his wealth, he had lost his family, and finally he had lost his health as well. And in this, he cries out to God. And in chapter 9 of Job, we see that, well, Job asks a basic question. He says, even if I were clean, compared to the holiness and the purity of God Almighty, who is over all and beyond all, Well, how can a mere human being, a mortal, who's here today and gone tomorrow, stand before this God? It's just impossible, says Job, unless there is somebody to mediate between us and bring us together so that I'm no longer uh, just a guilty person before this almighty God. 
It's a big question, isn't it? Who is going to be the one who's going to be a go-between, a negotiator, bring both parties together? Between God, the amazing, eternal, immortal God, whom Paul says nobody can approach because he lives in unapproachable light and holiness, and us human beings, who are born, live, die, and even most especially, are soiled with sin. How are we going to be brought together? Who's the mediator? And that is basically the theme of our our sermon this morning. And the first thing we should do is to look at the Bible before we look at the Reformation and then before we look at the application for ourselves in church today. And we want to focus on 1 Timothy this morning. Now, there are obviously many passages I could have turned to in the entire Bible to talk about Jesus Christ. But given that the focus this morning is on the question of who's our mediator, uh, I think this passage is a pretty good one to look at. And 1 Timothy is concerned with Paul's uh, directions and instructions to his young disciple, Timothy, who has been sent to uh, Ephesus in what is today the middle of Turkey to sort out the problems in the church there where there's a lot of false teaching. So if you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 18, you will see, you will see Paul saying very kindly to, as a, as a spiritual father to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. And then he goes on. And then he urges Timothy to do something very central in church life. And you have a look, have a look at uh, chapter two now, verse one. I urge then, first of all, that is of primary importance, a really, really important central thing in church life is prayer. Or what, notice what he says, petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving. Why? Because prayer is, as the word intercession might suggest, a go-between between ourselves and those whom we're praying for on one side and the Almighty God on the other side. That is basically what it is. So he opens up this passage by saying, we need to be prayer warriors interceding and mediating for other people before God. But who does Paul say we should be praying for? Well, notice this, first of all, end of verse 1, all people. And there are this, this passage is actually focused around alls. There are a number of alls in this passage. So pray for all people, and that we can actually stop there, couldn't we? And focused on, well, let's stop now, and let's just pray for all kinds of people, all races around this world. But then he goes with more focus, Pauls. He says, for kings and all, the second all, those in authority. Pray, he says, uh, for the president, new president of Singapore. Pray for the prime minister of Singapore. Pray for world leaders. In Paul's context, of course, it would be in prayer for the Roman emperor, the most powerful person in the world, and for all his officials who basically ran the world in his time. Why? Why should we pray for all these people? Well, look at uh, the end of verse 2. That we may live peaceful and godly lives in all godliness and holiness. So that the 
that we can get on with our job of witnessing to Jesus Christ. We need strong and stable and secure society and governments. After all, you know, if we live in a society which is in complete turmoil and civil war, well, there's not a lot the church can do about its witness and mission, because the the church actually needs freedom to proclaim Jesus Christ. And then you might say, but why? Why do we need to proclaim Jesus Christ? What's, What's the point of doing all this evangelism and mission stuff? Well, Paul tells us, This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all, notice that that, uh, the all coming here, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is, God's desire is that everybody should come to salvation and rescue. That is God's great one universal plan for one humanity. It's his desire. He says, come, come, why will you be lost? Come to me. Jesus himself says that, you know, come all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So that is God's great desire out of love, out of compassion, out of kindness, out of grace. The salvation of all kinds of people and races. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's not simply making up our own salvation, but no, a salvation that's based on knowing the truth about God and knowing the truth about salvation, which can be found in the scriptures alone, as we saw two weeks ago. But why? Why does this God have this universal sort of plan? How can he actually say that? Isn't that sort of quite narrow and intolerant of Paul just to say that there's one God has a plan for all humanity? Well, look at verse 5, and this is the key verse we're going to be looking at this morning. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying? The reason why this one God can have this one plan and one desire for the salvation of a one humanity is because there's one God. I, if there were many gods, they could have many different sorts of plans and many different sorts of desires. They could have many different options to give to uh, different people. So there could be, you know, in those days, yeah, you could say, well, there should, there's a God for the Greeks, and there's a God for the Jews, and there's a God for the Romans, and there's a God for the Egyptians, and there are other gods in different places around the known world in those days. And it's the same true, uh, true today. But so Paul says, no, there is one God, and there is one mediator. He comes back to this whole subject of mediation, which he'd begin begun about prayer being mediation. One mediator between God and humanity. Not simply now between the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and simply Israel, but between the one mediator and the whole of humanity. And who is this one? Who is this great one? Well, he tells us, look, the man Christ Jesus. Notice how he puts it. Not the Israelite, but the human being. The, the word man here does not have the sense of male as opposed to female, 
but actually man as being human. That is, there is somebody who can represent human beings. If you like, Job's great desire and prayer in the Old Testament is now answered. Oh, that there was someone to actually put me and God together and to argue for me and to take away my guilt. Well, Paul says, well, that, that human being is now here. The one who's going to connect humanity and God to mediate, to go between, to negotiate between us, to reconcile us as warring parties. And that man is Christ. That is the true king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, his majesty, I suppose we would say, his majesty, his greatness. Somebody who represents, yes, who's human, but also represents God because he is God's great king and the one who has been appointed by God to rule and reign. And that man lived at a particular time in a particular place, namely Jesus, the man from Nazareth. So notice how, God, how Paul gets particular. There's one God, one mediator, and now this man, Christ Jesus. Everything comes through him, and not any other God, not any other mediator. But we might say to Paul, okay, Paul, so theoretically there's this now this way open through this one mediator, Jesus Christ. That's great. But the way is still closed because of sin and the bondage, and God is still angry with us because of sin and the judgment God wants us to have. So how can we be free in God's law court? If actually there's this this big boundary between us and God, it's as if you know, it's as if there, there's this. Well, we're down here and God is up there, and there's this separation between us called sin. It's actually preventing the light from coming into us. And Paul goes on. There is now a way open to God and to heaven. Notice verse six who gave himself as a ransom, that's himself, of course, being Christ Jesus, as a ransom for all, notice again, the all peoples. Well, he's talking about the cross. See, because what happens at the cross is that Paul thinks of ourselves as being in a deep dungeon and jail. I've never been to jail, uh, and I hope I never actually go there. But we can imagine it, isn't it, having seen films and pictures of people in prison. It just doesn't look good, and it would have been even worse in the old days, because, well, Roman prisons, you were chained all the time, and you didn't have any food or water, and it was dark and horrible and awful. And Paul says, well, it's like that. We're in a jail, and even more than that, we are slaves, we are chained to an evil and horrible master called sin. And the only way that, that we can be freed and liberated is if somebody pays the price, purchases us out of slavery. And he says that is what Jesus did on the cross. He took that price, the price for our sins, which is death, and judgment and anger and the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. 
and so freed us from slavery and from the jail of sin. And this is for this is for everyone. It's just not done at a corner. It wasn't just done for some Jewish people in the first century. He says it's for everyone. This this ransom is available for every person on the planet at all times. It is available out of the love and kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. Now, isn't that great and wonderful news? So basically what Paul is saying that now the mediator has opened a way for us between God and human beings. And there's only one mediator and his name is Christ Jesus. Now that is amazing news, isn't it? Imagine if we were indeed in jail and then somebody came in and said, Right, I've sorted it all out. It's all paid. The penalty, the punishment, it's all taken care of. Here's the key. I'm going to unlock your jails. The, 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 the jail door is open. Come out. Come out. Wouldn't that be wonderful news? And he's actually saying that. God is saying that to, to, that the offer of salvation by the ransom of Jesus Christ is available to all peoples everywhere. That is what indeed Jesus himself said, wasn't it? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Hebrews puts it this way, that Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. Better than the Old Testament times, better than anything else, is Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the one to, He is the promise of God. He is the one who Paul Hinsitz has said that all the promises of God are yes and amen in this mediator, Jesus Christ and Him alone, and there is no other, I think, is the point. And that means, well, we could spend the rest of our time actually meditating on this and saying, what a wonderful privilege prayer is, isn't it? That we can just by getting down and saying, Father, talk to the Creator and the Lord of the universe, the one who is beyond all things. He actually, well, he condescends to listen to our prayers. We can mediate for other people, for the, indeed the whole world. Why? Because Paul says, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the true mediator who is in heaven, as Hebrews says, seated on the right hand of God, our intercessor, that there is a human being on the throne of God above, who has, and by his presence, the Father will listen to our mediations and prayers and thanksgivings and intercessions. So if there's one thing you take away from this sermon today is enjoy the privilege of prayer and that free access to God. But you might say, well, that's all very interesting, but surely there are other aspects of um, mediators. Can't there be other mediators as well? You know, can't, can't, can't there be others? 
And this is where we now will look at the Reformation and focus on the Reformation teaching. So we are going on now from the Bible times to the Reformation 500 years ago. And the Reformation emphasized very much that it's Jesus Christ alone is the mediator. He is the sufficient and the only mediator, and there is no other mediator. And to understand why that was so important at the time of the Reformation, we need to go back to the medieval context. You see, if we were, uh, say, in Italy or France or England or Germany, living about 500 years ago, and we went to church on a Sunday morning, well, we would need a mediator. The Catholic Church taught you need a mediator to get between you and God. And the first mediator, they said, is your local priest. Got a problem? If you want to know what God says, if you want God to forgive you, first go to your local priest, confess your sins, and he will forgive you. He is, if you like, the God-man, the one to contact between you and God, your priest. And your priest will then, at the Mass, he will turn the bread and the wine into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and re-offer Jesus Christ back to God. So there will be many sacrifices, and that will satisfy God, and you can now be in contact with God. But of course, there wasn't just the priest, there were the bishops. They had an even greater contact with God. And ultimately, there was the Pope in Rome, the vicar of Christ on earth, they said. The apostle of St. Peter, what he says is what God says. So you'd better listen to the Pope. That was basically the message. But it wasn't just those who, uh, as human mediators. Well, there were also the dead ancestors. You see, they were now in the supernatural realm. But they needed your mediation as well. You needed to pray for them so they could get out of purgatory, which we talked about a few weeks ago, this dark and shadowy place and painful place, and up to heaven. So you need to mediate for the dead. But above them are the saints, those amazing people who lived great and holy and good lives. People like St. Anne and St. George and St. Margaret and St. This, That and the Other. Pray to them, and because they're so good, they can help you, they would have said. But even above the saints, you've got the angels, like the archangel Michael and the archangel Gabriel, who appeared to Jesus. So if you, you know, if you want something, well, go a bit higher. Have a, have a, have a focus on the angels, the angel Gabriel, or someone like that. But ultimately, you might say, well, that's not good enough. I need somebody better. You know, I need, I need somebody to really understand my humanity because, you know, they were te teaching, well, Jesus is God and you can't really touch him or know him. So they said, well, the one who is human and yet also a co-mediator is the Virgin Mary. And that is a quite typical picture of the Virgin Mary being assumed into heaven with all the angels. And you see, the Virgin Mary, they said, well, that's almost the ideal mediator. After all, she's a woman. She understands. She's sweet. She's gentle. She's a mother, isn't it? And, you know, if her son, Jesus, gets upset or angry, you can trust Mary to say, oh, son, just calm down now and listen to the, all these poor people. 
Do you see? So you had the Virgin Mary. So you had all these mediators to help you on your way to God. But then there was a man um, slightly later than the time of Martin Luther called John Calvin. John Calvin was a Frenchman, but did most of his ministry in the city of Geneva in Switzerland. And that's a picture of John Calvin. Now, despite the reputation that John Calvin might have, and I think it's substantially unfair, he was a wonderful and great man. And actually, I've been quite surprised reading his sermons this week as to how warm and pastoral and how much taken he is with the love of God and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness. And in fact, he's the father of Presbyterianism as well. So Presbyterian has a lot to thank John Calvin for. And indeed, the whole of the Reformed tradition comes from him. But you see, what John Calvin said was that the key to understanding God and humanity was that Jesus Christ alone was the mediator. Alone. Not Mary, not the saints, not the Pope, not the, not the dead, not, not, uh, not the angels. Nobody else is needed except Jesus Christ as the sole and only mediator. Why? Because he said Jesus Christ is both God and human being. He is God, because that's what Jesus Christ is, isn't it? You will remember how Thomas to, says to Jesus Christ, My Lord and my God. So he can represent God. He understands the mind of God, because Jesus Christ is God. But on the other hand, Jesus Christ is also human, said John Calvin. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So Jesus Christ understands human beings as well, because he is the human being. And he said, even more than that, Jesus Christ has always mediated everything. How was creation created? Said John Calvin. Through Jesus Christ. It is through him that the whole universe was created. Why is it, says John Calvin, that the sun rises every morning? Because Jesus Christ says to the sun, rise, and it rises. He mediates, even today, everything. Why can we be saved and rescued? Because the Father sent his Son who loved the world. So actually all salvation is through mediation of Jesus Christ. What about the Christian life? What about the church, says John Calvin? Well, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Indeed, he's more. He's the bridegroom of the church as well. And what about the future? Who will mediate the future? Jesus Christ. He is coming back. And he will be the judge. God has entrusted all judgment to the Son. He will mediate the judgment. And what about eternity itself? Who will we be in the presence of? The great mediator in glory, Jesus Christ. So, if you like, what Calvin is saying is that this word mediator sums up the whole of Jesus Christ. Now, that's amazing. And he says, even more amazing, this mediator, Jesus Christ alone, has a threefold office. First of all, says John Calvin, Jesus Christ is the high priest. Now, he says, 
John Calvin says, go back to the Old Testament. You'll remember that men were appointed and ordained by God to be priests. Go between, between Israel and the Lord, God. And uh, the priest actually had to be washed ceremonially clean. He had to wear these special clothes to represent the glory of God. And he went into the holy place. Here is the priest in the holy place offering sac- uh, incense to God. And once a year the ho- high priest went into the holy of holies in order to make atonement for Israel. But, Hebrews says, well, Actually, the high priest needed to make atonement for himself because he himself was a sinner. And the high priest died. And the sacrifice had to be repeated day after day after day. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen that film Groundhog Day. Have any of you seen the film Groundhog Day? Some some are nodding. Uh, You might remember it. It's a story of a day in America, I think in the Midwest somewhere, which is Groundhog Day, something like the 1st of February, where the groundhog come out of the ground. But by some sort of time loop, the reporter and the the main character in the film, the day keeps getting repeated and repeated again and again and again and again and again, until he goes completely crackers. You know, because every day is just the same, it's just the same, it's just the same. And that, I think, was the problem with the Old Testament sacrifices. It was just the same. It was a repeated Groundhog Day. You had to do it morning and evening, every day, every day, for thousands of years. But, says Calvin, then Jesus Christ comes, and he is the true high priest of the order of Melchizedek. He is the one who is holy and undefiled, who uh, who doesn't need to offer a sacrifice for himself because he's perfect. And he doesn't offer simply animals as a sacrifice. He offers his own life and will as a sacrifice. So it's a once-for-all-time sacrifice. You don't need no more Groundhog Days, says John Calvin. Well, he didn't quite say that, but you know what I mean. No more repetition of the sacrifices. Groundhog Day has stopped. We can now go on to a better time, a time of reconciliation and intercession. Because Jesus Christ, even now, is a human being at the right hand of God. There, sitting on God's throne. And that's amazing. So he said, that's the role of the high priest, and that's how Jesus Christ fulfills the role of the high priest. But there was another one who actually mediated the rule of God. If God is this great sovereign king and ruler of all things in Israel... Well, God appointed a human ruler to mediate. And that was, of course, King David. And God said, well, David's family is going to rule my people forever and ever. And there's a little picture of King David. Well, we all know what happened to the kings of the Old Testament, don't we? They too died. They too were sinners. So where's the perfect king? The perfect king is Jesus Christ who mediates God's rule. He rules eternity, eternally. He died, yes, Jesus, but now he lives forever. And he is constantly blessing and ruling and guiding his people. And if, and that, 
all rule God the Father has given to Jesus Christ as the only mediator and, if you like, the vice-regent of God the Emperor of the universe. So that's wonderful as well. And the last thing is that Jesus Christ is prophet. Uh, Here's Moses, the great prophet of the Old Testament. And you'll remember the story of Moses, isn't it? Basically what Moses does, he goes up the mountain and talks with God and then he comes down with the Ten Commandments. And then when the people sin, he goes back to God and says, God, please forgive them. He is the great prophet. He brings the very words of God. But Moses even is a sinner, isn't he? He's not allowed into the promised land. He he dies as well. But Moses prophesies that one day there will be a great prophet like me and you will listen to him. There were many prophets in the Old Testament, great ones as well. But they all died. They were all sinners. But now, he says, there is Jesus Christ, the Word himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's message, God's prophecy, God's Word has become a human being in Christ Jesus. And Calvin said, well, that this Jesus, he still speaks God's Word through the Scriptures and through the preacher. Therefore, Listen to him. That's the message that Calvin wanted to say. So here we have it. A great mediator, both God and man, with a threefold office. High priest, king, and prophet. You might say, well, that's good, but what use and relevance of it is for us here in church today and for my own life? I mean, I need something for my own life. And that's very true, we do. And here's the application coming. So now we're moving to today. You see, there are many different views of Jesus Christ on the table. There is Jesus Christ, the good man, who might be a mediator, but not the only mediator, because there are other good people. Or there's Jesus Christ, the prophet, sort of in among all the other prophets and religious teachers of the world. And then there's, if you like, the the more uh, Catholic Jesus Christ, even today. He's given everything to the Pope. Or there's the liberal Jesus Christ, the one who's just a human being. And uh, just we have to use our own minds. Well, Jesus God might have got it right in one or two things, but actually we need to to do our own thing today. But actually there is a true Jesus Christ and a true mediator and he's found in the Bible. So let the Bible shape our thinking and our trust in this particular one mediator, Jesus Christ. So let's be taught to know the real Jesus Christ according to the scriptures and the scriptures alone. The second thing, which is a very important subject today, is that many people think there are many different paths to God, many different truths about God, you know, that we can make up our own truth about God, our own feeling, our own experience. But in fact, there is one unique and exclusive mediator, 
Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the most important thing, actually, he says, is the second half of that verse, John 14, 6. And no one comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way to heaven except by trust in Jesus Christ and him alone as the only unique and exclusive mediator. Peter says something similar in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Salvation is found in no other name. To the Jewish authorities he asserts there is nobody else except this one whom I'm proclaiming. That's a very important truth that we must remember today. That is Jesus Christ and not any other worldview or point of view at all. But the last thing and perhaps the most important thing is our union with Jesus Christ. You see, John Calvin said, well, it's not as if our salvation comes because he's right on the outside. He's far away from us. Jesus Christ, the mediator, is not like that. He's actually, says John Calvin, he's with us and in us. We are ingrafted into his body, which is the church. We are participants of Jesus Christ. We live in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ lives in us, in all the benefits of his person. And Calvin said, you can relate to this Jesus. Because, well, he's just human, isn't he? Every one of us loves it when a new baby is born, isn't it? We smile, we see the little one, and we're thrilled and delighted by the little baby. But says Calvin, think about this, that God himself was a little baby. Isn't that thrilling? We can really relate to this God and this mediator. But Jesus Christ grew up. When he grew up as a human being, well, like the rest of us, he got tired. He, got, he, he had feelings. He got angry and irritated with, with the sins of other people. He had to teach, to relate. He was with people 24-7, his disciples. And most of all, he was tempted like we are, says Hebrews, but without sin on that great mountain of temptation. Therefore, says Hebrews, he can help us when we are tempted. He knows exactly what we're going through all the time because he himself has experienced the same temptation to sin, but he has resisted it. And above all, when we're suffering and hurting, when our lives are in threatened and in danger, and indeed, even at the point of death, this Jesus Christ knows us and is related to us. After all, look at the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Look at his pain and torment in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at his cries on the cross, his sense of abandonment by God the Father. So this Jesus Christ really knows your sufferings. He knows even your death. But then does Jesus Christ invite you to a a glorious, happy future forever and ever because he has risen from the dead. 
And one day when we are with him in glory, we will see all his beauty, all his grandeur, all his perfection, and we too will be able to enjoy that heaven. And the best part of heaven is not that we will be perfect, but we will see our perfect mediator every moment, forever and ever and ever. That is heaven, to see Jesus Christ. So let me now close with some beautiful and wonderful words by John Calvin. He says, The name of Jesus is not only light, but also food. It is also oil, without which all food for the soul is dry. The name of Jesus is also salt, without whose seasoning whatever is set before us is bland. Finally, the name of Jesus is honey in the mouth. The name of Jesus is melody in the ear. The name of Jesus is joy in the heart. And at the same time, the name of Jesus is our medicine. Every word in which his name is not spoken is without taste. Jesus Christ, our only mediator. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are our only mediator and we need no other mediator at all. We thank you and praise you and worship and glorify you that you are God himself. We thank you that we can relate to you because you are a human being. We thank you that you are a great high priest who has taken away our sins and paid the ransom. We thank you that you are our king who will guide us and teach us and protect us. And we thank you that you are our prophet, that you talk to us every day through your word and through the preaching of your word. May we love you more and more every day. For your name's sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.